Hey guys, welcome back to the Lou Perez Podcast. My name is Lou Perez. If you want to support the podcast, please head over and join my local community on Locals, theloupperez.locals.com. It's a great way not only for you to support me, but you get to listen to the podcast early. And I have some really exciting, cool stuff coming up, sketch comedy, that sort of thing, getting back into that, uh, into that, into that game. So I hope you guys will come over and hang out with me over there in the Lou Perez community. Uh, right now, I want to introduce you to a, a good friend of mine. He's a co-host of the Live from America podcast. His name is Hatem Gaber. Hatem, thanks for joining me, brother. Thank you. And I appreciate saying my name correctly. I'm a professional, man. I know I'm, you I think, are. I don't know how many episodes. We're, I think I'm getting close to 20 episodes. So <laughs> I think once that happens, I am a professional podcaster. That's wow. uh Good for you, brother. Yeah. Well, um, so in addition, I'm uh, in addition to me being a regular guest on the Live from America podcast, um, I want to sort of uh, bring people, take people back to how I first met you. And I met you without you meeting me because I was living in Los Angeles and I started listening to a podcast called Race Wars. And uh, when I was listening to Race Wars, it would often, oftentimes I was in transport, uh, tra- uh, in transit, you know, or I was driving stuck in traffic and I was hearing this and the conversation was so New York. It, it, it just, it had just this, uh, uh, just this vibe to it where I'm like, oh man, I'm so far away from New York and I miss this so much. And then you would be on a number of, uh, of episodes and I'd be like, who the hell is this guy, man? Who, what's this guy going on about, you know, Israel and, and all this stuff. And, but it was such a, it was such a fun dynamic to be listening to you, Kurt Metzger, Sherrod Small, just, you know, uh, having intelligent conversation, but very entertaining, being open to make fun of each other and mess and mess with each other. And uh, ultimately I ended up moving back to New York and, you know, maybe, Race Wars was a big part of that. And, and you were part of that, I guess, in a way. Oh, wow. Thank you. I'll take the credit. Don't tell Sherrod or Kurt. They should know. No, no, no. They don't, they don't need that credit. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. Well, um, so how did, um, how did you get, you know, in touch with, with all those guys? You're, you know, very um, in on the, the scene and the, the comedy scene in New York. How did that start? I mean, it started by coincidence, you know, I was, um, I was looking for a job and a friend of mine got me a job and he told me it's a place called the olive tree and like under it is something called the comedy cellar. I was like, whatever, dude, I just want to work like anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So I go there and, and that was, you know, I, I was introduced to stand up comedy before I was, I went to the comedy cellar actually a couple of times before, but sometimes I know it's the location of it is great because you're always somehow lost at New York for o'clock in the morning and you want to have a falafel for some reason. And you just you stumble into the comedy cellar. So so when you start at the comedy cellar, you start working first in the restaurant upstairs, you know, and then there's a comedy club downstairs and you see all these celebrities I was like, where what's going on down there? You know, but you're not working down there, so you don't know anything about it yet. But you see all these big stars, Seinfeld, like Chris Rock, Robin Williams, Chappelle, you know, I was like, what that, you know? And then um, the owner, Manny, he asked me to be uh, to be a manager and run, you know, um, uh, comedy cellar and the olive tree and also to work the door, which is to work the door of the comedy cellar that was the best, you know, job ever. Well, well for one, I got to stop you there because like how long were you working at the olive tree uh, when uh, he asked you to, to do that? Were you um, or was it like first day? He's like, ah, this kid's got it. Um, no, actually, uh, I got in, I think, after after a year. Like, I start working as a waiter at the comedy cellar right away. Like, usually mm-hmm. it takes time, but I, I had, like, one time the other waiter didn't show up. So I start working at the comedy cellar right away, you know. But to become a manager, I did Like, it's not a dream job. Like, a lot of people, especially back then, you know, because <laughs> you used to do everything, you know. So, uh, so we said, a couple of people said no. And then started when um, when the when the person before me, so as I mentioned, working the door at the comedy cellar, managing the door and managing the comedy cellar by working the door is the best, in my opinion, job. So the guy before me had quit working the door and became Dave Chappelle's manager, which is my friend. You know, so so they offered me the job. He's like, oh, you're the next one. You know, I was like, right. OK. And it's cool because you're really not 
work and you can communicate with like you know comedians you try to get people in you know you organize the line all this so it's cool job so i was like okay um so that's how it, the whole set thing started and once you run the door you really have uh, knowledge of everything so he asked me i said no a couple of times but he's like yeah you gotta do it mm-hmm. and um with your with your years there your experience did you ever want to get up on stage did you ever want to give it a shot try to do a stand up not not really you know i rest i respect it you know when i started you know when i was first introduced to comedy uh to stand up comedy and generally see I came from the middle east so you know every joke is like you can't say something like straight you know i remember the first time i heard somebody saying like a political joke i was like oh i can't wait for the secret service to come and get in you know but nothing happened i was like what like this is <laughs> awesome you know so so i was introduced and and the lineup was literally like Colin Quinn, Daryl Hammond, uh, Louis CK, Jim Norton, uh, you know, David Tell uh, Chris Rock, Dave Chappelle, Jerry. Sa- so when you see this, he's like, it's never going to happen, you know? So I never really wanted to be, um, uh, a comedian. I never wanted to be in a studio, but I, w- but I did. And I wanted to be like a producer and writer, which I did after I left the comedy cellar. Mm-hmm. And then what, what, uh, what year did you start working there at the cellar? Comedy cellar 2000. In 2000. Okay. Yeah. They actually hired me uh, in 1999, at December and the condition the manager would hire me is to work New Year's Day of the millennium because nobody would. Wow. Yeah. But were, you, were you alone? Were you the only one working? Were you cooking and waiting? <laughs> no, and no, doing no. Everything there? no, I was the only one on the floor, but yeah. Uh-huh. We, uh, my, my wife and I, uh, she, she's really good at, at getting um, surprise gifts, like whether it's birthday gifts or, uh, you know, things for us to do. Uh, so the one year it was uh, New Year's, and she got us tickets to go see Post Malone uh, at the at the the Barclays. Uh, and I didn't really know too much of his of his of his music, but you know he's he's a very talented guy. Yeah. Um, but it was it was a little weird, like going there and being like, you know, the handful of old people, older people at this Post Malone uh, this Post Malone show. Uh, but I've never done I've never gone to a comedy show for new years um i've never never done that but it seems like a lot of people i don't know it seems like a lot of people perform on those um you know it's funny it is new year's eve show it's usually they have two shows in new year's eve which is you know for the seller usually they have four shows in a week but it's just like they always that's one of the things that i respect about this club is like they really appreciate comedy versus uh just making money for no reason you know because they knew people will be like drunk by then so so they have, but yeah, you'll be surprised how many people are actually show up in the newest day. Well, know? I think, I, yeah, I think, I think it, it's pretty much agreed upon that New Year's Eve is one of the most overrated of the of the holidays. It happens sure. every it happens every time. I have so many friends, I have so many family members. Nobody makes plans, and then it's like the day before, and you're like, oh, what are we gonna do? Yeah, um, I guess I guess things are a little. It's a little easier now because everything is kind of closed down and. Uh, everybody's, you know, sort of in. Um, in yeah, it's one of the days they always feel, no matter what you're doing, that you are missing out on something else. Yeah, you know? yeah, Should yeah. And, I'm, and I'm trying to think, you know, like, man, what were some of the? I think the best New Year's Eve, at least that I can remember. I have a shitty memory, but uh, I, I remember one New Year's Eve going to one of those bars where you pay like a hundred bucks for all you can drink, and it's already a shit show. Like it's just going to be bad. Um, but I, I remember I ended up going home with a girl. And it was sort of, and I don't think any of my friends did, you know, so that was, yeah. that was good. It was like, oh, wow, this actually worked. This was almost like picture perfect. You plan this, you go, you know, spend a hundred bucks, get some drinks, you know, go home with a, with a cute girl. Um, and there you go. Yeah. And the more you drink, the more it doesn't matter really if it's cute or not, you know? I know. Well, it's funny because <laughs> I, it, it's so funny because I remember I went home with her and uh, to, to her place left. And then a few days later, uh, we we hooked up again, and uh, she was very cute on the phone. And it was before I don't even think I had text at that time, text messaging. Uh-huh. So it's not like I could text a picture; she could text a picture back. And I remember like kind of being close to her apartment and saying, "Ooh, wait a minute, man, this could go, this could go wrong." <laughs> but then she opened the door, and I was like, "Oh, thank God, thank God, you're you are you are very cute." Um, with a uh, is it something that something that I that I find 
so interesting about about the comedy seller is you know there's no frills you know there's no there's no like ooh you know cool lighting or anything like that i mean you're in a ba- you're in a basement yeah. you're crammed together and you're only feet from some of the biggest comedians to ever you know grace the stage uh and it's and it's wild to be able to see like uh, an up and coming comedian someone who you know who's just getting you know sort of their not necessarily just getting their start but you know someone's uh, finally getting their start on a stage like that and then you know Seinfeld Chappelle all them you know like back to back uh that is wild like how um I don't know. I'm just wondering how you make, you know, how Manny and Noam are able to create that culture, you know, of like this really special place that is, I mean, when you, when you break it down, it's just like a simple room. And yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole thing is about the atmosphere, you know, like if you talk to any comedians, you know, there's a lot of great comedy clubs all over the world, but everyone wants to be at the cellar because it's kind of like a, they managed to make it like an underground respected comedy that you still need to, uh, if no matter how famous you are, you still need to earn laughs at that basement, you know? So when you get big, all you want to do is just to go back and because it was so, especially back then, uh, like now it's, it's a little easier because they have, you know, two locations uh, and Vegas. So there's three locations and they have so many shows. So there's a lot of spots for comedians. But before, remember when I worked there, it was only started with one show and it was two shows. That's the maximum. And the weekend it was three and four. But, you know, so you have only about maybe 20 comedians performing. And that time we're talking about, you know, Jim Norton, Bill Burr, you know, Louis C.K. Like, there is no way. Like, so if you get a five minutes there, you're going to really appreciate it. So your dream, you grew up and you always, all you want to be is at the cellar. I mean, still, you know? So once you get big, all you want to do is go back, which I think it's it's uh, it's smart um, strategy. Um, and I think the uh, a lot of things that help, one of the major things that Manny did, um, he never hired... That changed a little bit with Noam. Uh, he never, many never hired uh, anybody that wants to be a comedian to work at the comedy song, which I think it was very smart, you know, because uh, it's two separate worlds, you know, uh, and and you know if you want to run a business, you need a business manager. You don't want to be somebody who wants to be a comedian, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and always was respect. You respect everybody, no matter if they little, because you never know. I saw so many people that literally started, you know, just started in New York, not even the seller. And now they're superstars. Like I know them from the very beginning and it's so impressive. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I, um, there's a recently a a documentary series about the comedy store. I think it's like a five or six part series. And it seemed like it, it's, it's kind of an opposite thing there where a lot of people who work as doormen um, at the comedy, uh, at the comedy store, are actual comedians and uh by working the door they get they get stage time mm-hmm. and then eventually the opportunity to be passed uh passed at the store but you know they're, they're uh but you know comparing the two and i mean i'm not you know comparing the two to say one you know one is better than the other like that it's just these are i think probably like the two most prominent yeah uh, comedy clubs in the country you know yeah but and, you see the difference between that if i may or you want to yeah, yeah yeah go for it um when you work as if I wanted, like I work the door, if I wanted to be a comedian, I'm going to do favors to people, you know, get a lot of demand. It was so secret over there that if you're not a comedy seller, a comedian, you will not step a foot inside. You know what I'm saying? Inside downstairs, not upstairs. Upstairs, you're welcome. There's comedian's table. Oh, and the comedian's table in the back, it's only for comedy seller comedians. So you cannot sit there if you're just a comedian. There's other tables for the comedian. So if I've been somebody who wants to be a comedian and there's a manager shows up or an agent shows up or another comedian that runs the show, I'm going to do favors for them. So it wouldn't be that exclusive. You know, Mm -hmm. I think the key is to be exclusive, you know? So that's, that's, I think the business model they were going for. Yeah. What are some of like the, you know, some of your, I don't know, best memories of, uh, of the comedy cell. (laughs) And and I, you know, and and I hate saying, I I hate saying this because look, the comedy cell are still there. Yeah. things are just different now um shows aren't aren't happening there right yeah 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 yeah. um but you know sort of you know what what are some of the standout moments that 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 you could remember 
I mean, there's so many. Uh, to me, the funniest is, I mean, there's always this, the, the things that people would cherish and remember forever and think like, oh my God, like if you have, when you have Chris, Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle going together on a stage and doing something together, you know, the first time that David Tell, Jeff Ross went together and then that's how it started pumping mics, the show, you know. Uh, the back table where Colin Quinn sit with friends and that's how the tough crowd started with Colin Quinn. You know, so these are memories for, for people or maybe, um, or maybe for, um, uh, you know, audience member. You know, for me, I think uh, behind the scenes mm -hmm. uh, are better. Uh, I'm going to tell you a funny story. I think, I think um, no one will kill me, but it's fine. Um, this is funny. I don't me. think no one listens to this, uh, to this podcast. I gotta... Yeah, I don't care, really, but I, th I, th <laughs> I, th I think he's fine. He's cool with that. But it's one of the funniest stories to me. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we used to, as I said, we used to work the door and manage the police. So there's two people. I'm not going to mention the name of the other person. I'm going to name that mention of the celebrity. So, so, um, so there's a, a girl that worked the door and I manage and then we switch. She, I worked the door and she managed, you know? So Seinfeld was coming, you know, and he, he called me as like, he was, he wanted to, we, we, he parks his car outside. He goes in the stage to always when Seinfeld is there, we have to take care of his car, make sure nobody bothers him, you know, welcome to the stage, give him the table, walk him back to the car, all thing, you know? So a lot of times when we, it's McDougal street. So a lot of times you talk, uh, you, um, you get tickets. So to make sure that he doesn't get a ticket, uh, we put somebody inside his car to just sit there. You know what I'm saying? And I so, bet it's a Porsche. It, it, it's got to be a Porsche, right? Yeah, he's a Porsche collector. I think, I think that's I think that's all he drives. It's yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so he was there one time, and there's this girl. You know, I'm downstairs watching, make sure it's okay. He's he's off the stage. I call the girl and walkie-talkie. All right, get out of the car, because he doesn't. You know, we don't tell him we're gonna sit somebody sit in the car or whatever. You know, but I assume he 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 knows that. So. So he goes in the car. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you tomorrow. All right. He leaves. And the girl's like, oh, my God. I was like, what? She's like, I just dropped my weed in Seinfeld's car. <laughs> now, if you go back a little bit, Manny is the boss. Manny is a very hardcore boss. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you, if you spelled a T, you have to, like, he's a very nice guy. But he needs to know what happened and why it happened, you know? And he likes the story to be told from the end to the beginning. So he told him. Somebody died, and this is what happened. You know, it's something like that. So it's like, how the hell I'm gonna tell him that there's weed in Seinfeld's car? So now in our minds, like, what if the cops stop him? Uh, Seinfeld get arrested for drug dealing and and all that? You know, it's like, and he says, it out? wasn't me. It was yeah. my weed. Like, yeah, <laughs> and right, like, Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh shit, what are we gonna do? So I had to call Manny, and actually, Manny laughed about it. You know, and I, if I remember correctly. Uh, he called Colin and Colin called Seinfeld, which he also was cool about it. And, and they all laughed about it, you know? So that, that to me is funny. Did he bring the weed back? You know, it's funny as I'm talking to Manny and I'm terrified the girl next to me is like, tell him to bring the weed back. Like, <laughs> Shut the fuck. Like, it's not about that now. you know? Right. So Yeah. Because then, then that becomes like, Oh, not only, so it wasn't his weed, but now he's, he becomes like a drug trafficker. Exactly. So we had all these scenarios in our head and like, oh, shit. So there's so many stories like this that I, you know, when, when Donald Trump Jr. got hit at the Comedy Cellar, you know, that was, you know, another. Wait, he got what? What happened? Oh, he got beat at the Comedy Cellar. Whoa. I what? actually saved his life, you know. Oh, uh, shit. Not, I wouldn't say his life, but it saved him from a nice beating. When did that happen? Um, a while ago. Um. Was it before his dad was president? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before his dad was president. He was uh, he was in the audience and we didn't know who he was. And he was just a dick, you know, uh, and he was loud or whatever, but he was controllable. You know, we because we're very that's another thing about this. We're very aggressive about making sure everybody's quiet so people can enjoy the show or whatever. So I think he was sitting in the back corner and um, and the, the table next to him. I think there was Spanish or Italian. I can't remember. Boys and girls, you know, couples. And they were just so rude to them. And he was like, keep leaning on that table. So the guy, the special guy was like, dude, come on. Like, don't stop. Stop leaning it on my table. Whatever. So I think things escalated. This guy took a pint and broke it on top of his head. Oh, you know, shit. a couple of them, actually, a couple of mugs. So, so I went quickly. I, I took the guys out and, you know, we called the police. We called so as we're taking the guy bleeding, his girlfriend is like, you know, this is a uh, she, that's uh, that's so funny. She didn't even say this is Donnie Jr. She said this is Trump's son. 
You know, she didn't even say who he was. You know, this is Trump's son. This is Trump's son. Well, there's so, only one important one. I guess yeah. the other ones you just forget. You know. Yeah. So it's gonna. And then the next day, so the cops came and arrested the guy. Took him to the hospital. And so the next day, Donald Trump called Manny. You know, and uh, but we don't know what happened in that uh, conversation. He pretty much told him like, you know, um, you know. Uh, I'm going to sue you if we, if we didn't get all the stuff like that, you know, that's, you know, but that was, uh, wow. so many actually spoke to Trump, you know, and do Trump you, wanted to sue the seller. So do you remember, uh, who was on stage at that time? I do remember actually, <laughs> I don't want to say his name because he's going to be upset because so Chris Rock was earlier that night there, but, okay. um, but there was a comedian that got so scared and left the stage, you know, but Sherrod Small actually went on a stage and he was like, hey, hey, hey everybody come down, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I think I, good, a lot of credit. I mean, I, I think I think if you're looking for a comedian who can handle a situation like that, I think Sherrod is definitely, you know, definitely one of those. Um, yeah. And guys. we didn't even and that's the thing about him. It's like he stepped up like we nobody asked him to, you know, he just, mm -hmm. you know, because everybody was busy at something doing yeah. something, you know. Well, it's a, I think it's one of those things uh, too. Being in a in the crowd at, at the at the comedy cellar, I mean, you look around, you can't really tell what people look like. You know, you yeah. can't. You, know, you don't necessarily know who you're. You know, who you're sitting next to. Um, so, it, it was Don Jr. Was he was he heckling? Was he? Was no, no, he, he wasn't heckling. Or? He was he was just loud, and he was like leaning with his chair like backwards, and there's a table behind him, mm. and they kept saying, and he kept ba uh, leaning backwards to the girl. To the guy's girlfriend you know yeah, and the yeah. guy keep on like please don't lean back all the way you know and i yeah. think he said something that you know but he wasn't heck he was a little loud but you know that was a late show so it was you know we don't as i said we don't tolerate being loud in the show so he was he must be not that crazy because i would have got him out yeah yeah it's a, it, that's one of those situations where it's like anytime you you know people are going to be dicks right but when when you're sort of putting a, a, a another guy in a situation where he has to defend his girlfriend or another, you know, a woman that he's with, yeah. it's sort of like that just, you know, that just elevates things. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Where, you know, worst case scenario, you get a, a mug of beer broken off your, off your head. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Wow. Is there, um, uh, it's interesting. It's interesting. Uh, you talking about this stuff because it seems like you you have you're both an insider in um you know in comedy but also an outsider because of you know not having comedic aspirations you know so yeah. are there are there you know certain characteristics you've seen that sort of stand-up comedians share like something that you've noticed or are they all uh, are they all just very different in in all all different um ways? i i noticed well i i mean I work, as I mentioned, like after I left the cellar, I, I start producing my own shows and work in production a lot. So so that actually understanding the comedian helped me a lot. Well, I know there's uh, some characteristics for successful ones, you mm -hmm. know. Um, Please let me all, know because I'm going to start taking notes on that. <laughs> first of all, they always success. They, they always working hard, you know. Mm -hmm. They work a lot. They work hard, you know. And, and that's everybody says that. But I feel the number one thing, and I always tell that it's so funny. I always tell that to a lot of people. It's like their communication style is very good. So, for example, if I have, again, I'm not going to mention names, but if I have, like, say, if I want to book a show, you know, or, or my podcast or whatever, you know what I'm saying? And I have five people in mind. Now, remember, I don't deal with their agents. I deal with them personally. So I'm talking about personal, not agent-wise, who's good and who's bad. So if I call five comedians, one of a superstar, one is almost there, one is very famous, one is okay, and one is open micro. The first one's gonna get back to me as a superstar, you know, and and trickles down, wow. you know. So the and either if it's yes or no, but the first person to respond is always the most famous. That I feel I feel like that the more the success, it just like becomes part of their nature you know, to the communication one, you know, so how they communicate with people, their fans, how they communicate with, with um, managers or agents or, or, or club owners or other comedians, you know, they always respectful, they always rely, you know, um, so I found that that's, that's the one thing. And there's a lot of times they always say like, it's not, it's not, you know, it's funny, it's not funny, because the funniest people 
I know a lot of very funny guys that they're okay. They, they're famous, but they're not superstars. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not really being funny. You know, it's, it's being entertainer, you know? Uh, and, and as I said, the communication level is very, very good. You know, people's skill are very, very good, you know, mm-hmm. and they always um, up to date with what's going on. You know, they read a lot, they read the news, they always have something, they always, they're opinionated about everything. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of comedians that just uh, find a situation and they want to make it funny, but they don't, it's not their opinion that they share. You know what I'm saying? They just make it funny. No, mm-hmm. they find their opinion about it and they make it funny. Are you really writing this down? No, I I took a note of something I wanted to. Oh, okay. It's like it's like that's crazy. It's like you don't want to take this. <laughs> well, 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 I noticed when I was uh, when I was in L.A., I I ran a very small show uh, in uh, in Echo Park, and it was a uh, it was a, a show, and then after it became an open mic. Um, so, you know, I was there sometimes from like seven p.m. to like one or two in the morning. You know, uh, running the show, and I was blown away by some you know really great name comedians by just how sweet they were and how humble they were where uh, Maria Bamford uh, she went on Twitter and and said something like uh, I'm trying to get trying to get some stage time in in the uh, you know the LA area and I was like oh please come please come to my show and she came and did my show and I said hey when would you like to go and she's like oh whenever whenever's good for you and then like thanked me for yeah. giving her stage time. And I'm like, no, thank you for, you know, for coming and, and, and doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and another really, really nice person was um, uh, Roy Wood uh, Jr. Yeah. He, um, so um, I, I had a booker. So the booker had booked him to do the show. And then something happened where um, uh, he was booked to do the show, but there was something with, with travel, like either a flight was canceled or he had to change his flight or something like that. So he couldn't do the show. And so she told me that, you know, oh, I'm sorry, Roy can't do the show. And, and, and I was like, okay, that, uh, that, you know, that's cool. You know, I totally understand. He followed me on Twitter so he could DM me and say, Hey man, wow. I'm really sorry. You know, I really wanted to do the show, but this, uh, this thing came up and he sent me a picture of the flight, pl- uh, the flight change, yeah, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I was like, like, wow, I did like going, you know, above and uh, above and beyond. And he's yeah. a dude where I, you know, I got to see him, him live in LA. That dude is legit funny, man. He's funny on yeah. Twitter. He's funny on stage. See, that's exactly what I'm talking about. As a communicant. We, and I think, I think it's not only a true with comedy. I think in dating too, you know, a lot of guys, like you get a number or girl, girl number. It's like, oh, should I call? Should I wait? I wait three days. You know, if you're confident, it's a, you do what it's right. You call right away, you know, especially mm-hmm. if you're hot, you know, because <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's going to be awesome. But, you know, I, th- I think the, a lot of people give a lot. Oh, I would not respond right away. So they don't think I want this. And I'm yeah. desperate. I'm just going to wait. And, you know, no, you know, they, they sweet, they nice, they get advice. They want to pull everybody up with them, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think when you stop, yeah. When you stop playing games and just start being, uh, being real, oh my God, is that what the real world is? Stop yeah. playing games and start playing. Uh, that's when things, you know, start to happen. Cause it's like, yeah. what, what, what are we doing here? What is this, you know, yeah. gamesmanship? Like, what am I, yeah. what, what am I getting? It's like, and, I, and I find it a lot of times also is like when you, when you, especially, and you correct me cause you're a comedian when you're in comedy, but that's what I noticed. You always have an idol and you know, when you, when you're in the stage, you don't even notice, but you start holding the mic and talking and standing like your idol. Like I've seen, like this happens. Like I notice it very well with two people, Dave Chappelle and David tell the, because these two, you know, we call them comedians, comedians, a lot of time with Colin Quinn, of course. Um, so you, a lot of people of the comedians that want to be them when they are younger, they, can't, they hold the mic and they lean on the wall the same way they do you know when they laugh mm-hmm. after like a lot of times after a laugh Chappelle will hit the mic to his thigh you know a lot of comedians doing that too yeah. you know uh stuff like that David tell that the way he closes the the you know the so a lot of comedians you know I think once they start figuring out their character their personality they become so funny mm-hmm. yeah I uh I get annoyed when someone has a short set and they sit down like on the oh, stool. It's like, yeah. come on. Or even if they lean against the wall, it's like, you didn't come on. You're not tired yet. Yeah. Come on, man. Yeah. You haven't earned, you haven't earned yeah. this rest. 
yeah. And, and, and respect, like you said, the respect too. Like I, I produced a show where I had um, Kevin Hart and Patrice O'Neill. And they were like, and that was like just, just beyond, like it was amazing comedy. And they were like, and at that time, Kevin Hart was Kevin Hart, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Patrice was like, uh, also was Patrice, but Kevin was superstar, you know? And they were like, you know, we switch. I go first, you go next. Second, we had two shows. Second show, you go first, I go, you know? Yeah. It was so cool, you know, with each other, you know, with respect. Nobody, and sometimes you find the community is like, sometimes you find, you know, it's funny. I had a comedian. Again, I'm, I, I don't want to, I, I just, you know how the scene is. I don't want to mention a lot of it. I had a comedian who, who was in a show and I had the comedian that this show was his show and the community was that owned the show had no demand and the one that he works in his show had million demands oh <laughs> i wanted this i want that you know what i'm saying it's oh, crazy wow. yeah yeah i once uh I- i've been at open mics where people will drop the mic like do a three minute set and then drop the mic and it's like you fucking asshole like you're gonna break this microphone That's over hilarious. it wasn't even a fucking funny uh wasn't even a funny joke. That, that's what one one of um, uh, one of the fun. I also like in comedy when comedians fuck with each other, especially like um, like two good friends. Like uh, uh, one well, time, I can, was, I can only imagine. I mean, what it was like hanging out with Patrice O'Neill at that back table, and oh you know, my god, I used to go. Shit. I used to go Him to his barbecues. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, he used to invite me to his barbecues, which was you know legendary. It's just like it's so much fun, you know. But um, but I remember I was gonna tell you a story when uh, you know, Daryl Hammond and Conquen, they both were on Saturday night at the time. They come and they usually go back to back. So I think it was Daryl Hammond. What? So uh, no, Colin Quinn went first and did his joke. Daryl Hammond went second and did Colin's joke in reverse. You know, like Colin would say, like. Uh, for example, like a joke is like, uh, you know, when uh, when somebody tell you like um, you blame you for the Jets, why did they drop the ball? I was like, I don't play for the Jets. It was like, and then Dal went. I was like, so I saw Colin yesterday, and I asked him why did why did he drop the ball? You know, what I'm saying mm-hmm. he will do it in reverse, and it was just genius, you know. Yeah, um, being able to play off of uh, yeah, play off of one another. What um, we we had talked, you know, a while back just about. Uh, all the changes that have happened, you know, with COVID, with the lockdowns and all that, and sort of the, you know, future of comedy and uh, live comedy. Um, do you know if um, it, is the seller operating in, in Vegas? Because it seems like Vegas has a little, uh, they're a little bit more less, they're less restricted, I think, than, you know, New York uh, is. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, as I said, I'm not involved in the summer seller anymore. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I do know the people, they're my friends and stuff. So I'm more aware of my shows than the seller right now. Oh, yeah. All right. Let's, let's talk about it. <laughs> but, but yeah, but I think, I think um, you know, because I love the seller. I love Noam. The owner is, is my co-host and, you know, my friend and all that. Um, he is, uh, he's a very careful guy. Like, he's, he's really genuinely a good person. Like I remember when COVID was spreading out more, he closes before anybody else because, you know, just because he wanted the safety of the comedian of people, you know, yeah. literally that's what's what's in his mind. So I think uh, he he would do something as long uh, as long as it's safe. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I agree with you that Vegas is probably will open before New York, but um, I don't know if casinos are open before, are they? I'm not sure. Because no remember clue. the one, the seller at the Vegas kind of like falls under casino lows, you know? Okay. So kind of like Broadway here. I don't know how that will work. You know? Yeah. So. And it seems like they, it seems like casinos would have like really good filtration systems, you know, with all the smoking and, and stuff. Yeah. Like that. But I don't know uh, yeah. the overhead because if, if there's a 25 people, 25% uh, allowed, I don't know if that was going to call, uh, you know, cover the cost of uh, the overhead. So I don't know if they're going to, I don't no, know what the low point. is there. So I really don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And um, yeah, just to just to you know, give props to our mutual friend Noam. Noam is such a such a great guy. And don't give him props, huh? Don't I gotta him. I gotta give him props. I gotta give him a give him a few props, and then we could we could make fun of him. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, uh, you know, Noam is one of those really genuine guys who you don't meet very often who is able to have a knock down drag out argument with you and then afterward say like hey let me buy you dinner can i get you some drinks um here's a uh, you know here uh here are some tickets to a show 
he's so um, hospitable, even to people who he's had on, on his shows before who have not been hospitable to him. Um, and I think um, it, I wish I could be more like that. Um, uh, I don't think I have that, uh, that in me yet. I think if you have a comedy club and you own a comedy club, you will. Well, I think maybe, well, then maybe that's what I have to do. I'm going to have to uh, yeah, open up a comedy can... club, uh, have arguments with people who accuse me of sexism and racism. And then, yeah, and then, and then say, Hey, here's some hummus. Here's some Buffalo <laughs> wings and enjoy, uh, you know, uh, uh, Colin Quinn set. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, he is, uh, you know, he, he's genuinely is a good guy. He likes to, uh, you know, argue, I think sometimes too much in my opinion. Uh, but, um, uh, but he, he never does it. Like, unlike a lot of people, like people listen to respond, you know, they don't listen to understand what you're saying. Mm. And that not, he, he, he doesn't do that. You know what he listens and you can change his mind and hardcore. You can change your mind. I mean, good luck with that. But if he, but you can change his mind. Like if he believes in something and you convince him with other things, with facts, yeah, he will change his mind. You know, mm -hmm. can we trash him now? Yeah, let's let's trash him. So uh, you got to get rid of him as your co-host of Live from America podcast. Well, the, this whole time he doesn't know that I mute his mic, you know. But uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's what's going on. I'm wondering what the you know what's. Uh, well, I mean, you guys, how how many years has uh, Live from America been going? Uh, how many years ago did we start? Is yeah. four years. But how many actual years? Uh, yeah. I got sick a lot, so I think overall maybe two years. But we started in 2017. Okay. And, um, you, know, you know, maybe we could talk a little bit about, uh, you know, what you've gone through over the years, because, I mean, it's just a, it's such a, it's such a harrowing story. Um, Why do you want to bring the podcast down? I know. you want to bring it down. Well, you're so good at talking about it too and, and handling it um, that I think, I don't know. I, 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 you know, during these times, a lot of people are, are going through stuff and it, I don't know, it's, uh, I think it's, it, I don't want to say it's, what's the word, inspirational? I don't want to use the word inspirational. I like that. But I am inspirational. Yeah, you are inspirational. Okay, I'll use the word inspirational. The most okay, inspirational like Egyptian yeah. you will ever meet. Um, just, just how you've been been handling yourself with, you know, everything that's been that's been thrown your way. So maybe you could just talk a little bit about, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I, I, I told uh, a lot of people like, um, you know, I, I, I like to share my story uh, the way I say, it because I think it's, it's like you said, it just makes people, because what, when I was sick, you know, what makes me stronger seeing other people that's sicker than me, you know, and he's like, okay, at least I'm not this, you know? So, you know, about a couple of years ago, I went to Mexico for a vacation, nothing, nothing again, Mexico, but I think uh, I love it there. I got very sick. I got a virus. You know, um, they think that I stepped on something, not from food or drinks. You know, I came back. I was sick for a while. They didn't know what's going on. Then finally, they said that virus got rid of, you know, uh, hold of your heart. And I already was, my heart wasn't like 100%, you know. Um, I had enlarged heart, but that was because I was an athlete anyway. But um, so all the sudden, so it started with putting like, a, you know, an ICD unit, which is like a def defibrillator. You know, it just you know, give you a shock if if your heart stops, you know. They said it's insurance policy, just in case nothing's going to happen. And one day, boom, you know, I got that shock. I go to the hospital. I don't remember anything else. I wake up two weeks later in another hospital. They tell me your heart stops and we have to give you either a new heart or an artificial heart. Wow. And then I woke up again two weeks later with an artificial heart where I literally, something called the LVAD, which is... um. You know, it pumps, it's a machine that put it in the heart and it pumps the blood for you. Now, remember, I went from athlete and, you know, you know, I do two things. I produce comedy shows and I coach soccer, you know, so I'm very yeah, you, you were a professional soccer player, right? The best, please. The best of the best. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so, you know, I, um, so now I have to like, I have to live with this machine and it's literally a wire coming. You saw it. You know? Yeah, you, yeah, you, you were carrying that it around. It's a wire coming from my stomach to a battery and I have to charge myself every day, like a cell phone, like literally like a cell phone, I have to charge. Yeah, it's like, you don't want to get below 10%, like a, like a cell phone. Oh no, yeah. no, no, no. Like, like, uh, like things are weird. Like when girls are like, Hey, you want to come over? It's like, sure. But how's the electricity in your house? Just wondering. Have it's you like, paid oh. your bills? Have you paid your <laughs> electric <laughs> have bills? You, do you have any outstanding bills going? How, how? 
you know, so anyway, so I lived with that heart and it was, but the surgery was so hard, like so hard, you know, I, I was in coma for a couple of months, a couple of weeks and, you know, the recovery was so hard, you know, and then after about um, a year and a half uh, or 12 months, 16 months, exactly. Um, I got sick again. You know, I had another machine now. Now, now I'm, I was dying, like hundred percent. He's gone, you know? So it's like, the only thing that you, we have for you is you have to have a heart transplant. I was like, oh shit, okay. So they put me in a hospital, like, and then they let me out. And then when COVID, before COVID starts, it's like, listen, we're going to put you in a hospital because we're worried that you get COVID. If you get COVID, you cannot get heart transplant. So they isolate me in like this unit. So I've been in, in lockdown since um, February, you know? And, and literally, you know, they, they were going to stop transplant because uh, COVID was so, uh, spreading so much. So they wanted to stop transplant you know, at the end of March. And I literally have like three or four days. And one day they found like it was March 21st, you know, and, uh, and they found a heart. And back then there was COVID spreading. So nobody can visit me, no friends, no family, nobody can be in the hospital. So I had to do the whole thing by myself. Uh, and I woke up and three days after that, I got COVID. And of course it was, uh, you know, when you do a, a you know, a, a transplant, you have to take a medication to kill your, uh, you know, immune system. Now you have COVID. So COVID is hot. So it was like a death uh, sentence, but, um, but I got over it. You know, I stayed in the hospital for a long time till May, but, um, but I came out and, you know, if one thing, if I may, from this thing is like for your listeners, you know, being an organ donor, I don't know what to tell you. Like you save, eight lives, you know, not just the heart. And when I was there, there's little kids, little babies that waiting. At least I lived for 25 years. Let's, let's man, I'm 25 years old, <laughs> but uh, there's babies and stuff. So yeah, but during this time, you know, what's funny is like what really kept me going was uh, also, you know, when I came out doing the podcast and doing comedy shows and all that, you know, so yeah. And you checked on me a few times too. So thank you. For yeah, that. well, well, I remember, because I remember when you got your, when you got your new heart, I remember telling my wife because um, I think it was over text. I think it might have been from your brother Mo, who uh, who who yeah. let us know. And uh, I think a few days later, my wife gave birth. You had a baby. I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. I mean that that whole experience where before shortly before my birthday in February, my dad was was um, put in the hospital. They were worried that he had had a stroke. Turns out it wasn't a stroke. Then they thought he had Bell's palsy. Turns out it wasn't Bell's palsy. And then it, um, a neurologist uh, said that he had this thing, a, a Gideon-Barre syndrome, something like that. Oh. And it's, it's a syndrome where at the worst case scenario, you are paralyzed. And he, he got it, fortunately, where it's sort of like the pain and, and paralysis was from like the chest up. So that's why his face was droopy and all that. But he was going to live. He was going to be okay. So that happens to my dad. Then you get a heart transplant. And then, and then I have a baby. And this is all happening in the span of like a few weeks. In the middle of COVID too. In the middle, in the middle of COVID. And then when you find out that you got COVID too, I'm like, what? I'm like, and I remember on. they were telling you that you're not going to witness the birth of your first baby, right? Well, well, that's what we were afraid of because there were yeah. a bunch of hospitals. Uh, I think it was New York Presbyterian and a number of other ones that weren't allowing yeah. part partners in. So while that was happening, my wife has a friend who uh, gave uh, delivered at one of those hospitals. She had an emergency C-section. Uh, she almost like bled out on the operating table. Shit. Her husband wasn't allowed to be there. She's in recovery in the hospital. Her husband isn't allowed to be there. It was just so insane. And I remember, I, I don't know where you posted. I don't know if it was on Instagram or on Facebook, but talking about, you know, doing this alone and having to go, having to go through it alone. And I remember, you know, reading that. And I remember for one, you know, just, you know, wishing that you didn't have to do it alone, but I felt like, you writing that was a way of really strengthening yourself you know, oh, yeah. to, to really preparing yourself. You're like, cause it wasn't, it wasn't, Oh, I might have to do this alone. It's like, no, I'm going to do this alone and I'm going to yeah. come out. And I'm I gonna... think I was trying to show it to my doctor so they can give me more drugs. 
<laughs> if I remember correctly, <laughs> it's like, look, I'm doing this alone. Can I have more morphine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so you start or, 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 or do some like LSD or something where you can hallucinate your friends being in the room or some <laughs> of that. Or like, you know what? Hey, could I get can I get Chappelle in here? Can Chappelle be in the in the operating room just you know doing jokes, him or yeah, rock no. or something? You know, you know what's funny is like um when I was uh it's kind of a weird story, but you know, before when I was waiting for the surgery. Uh, I, you know, I used to do two things, play video games uh, or solitaire or like chess on my computer and read Quran because I'm Muslim, you know, so I was doing one or the other. So after the surgery and you drugged and all that. So I'm like, you really, I don't know how to describe that feeling the days after the surgery. You really don't know what's going on where you, you don't know what's real or what's not. It's a lot of things. So anyway, so my nurse says like, hey, um, you look upset. Do you wanna do you wanna play with your computer like you usually do? I was like, uh, no, thank you, I'm good. She's like, do you wanna read your Bible? <laughs> I was like, my Bible. I was like, and I literally try to think. I was like, I don't remember being Christian. You know, she meant Quran, but she didn't know how to say. It. So I was like, Bible. Did I? Did you convert? And it took me like a few minutes <laughs> to like try to remember what you know what. And, and you know what, what's interesting later is I was like, oh, fuck it, bring it, whatever it is, you know. Right. Um, but when I tried to play the first few days, when I tried to play chess or solitaire, I, said, I couldn't remember the rules. You know, it was a new, like, it was so weird. But uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and reading, uh, reading the Quran, um, has your, you think your faith has gotten stronger after going through that? Um, did you have, any, did mean, you have doubts think, along the people, way? Yeah, I think people like in, in, in tough times, like you can, you can rely on, on a lot of things, your friends, yeah, your belief, your, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that, and at that time, you know, I, I am, I, I, listen, I, in religion itself, uh, I, I think if you're going to call yourself Muslim or Christian or Jewish or whatever, I think you need to practice what you do. Otherwise, you're not doing, you're not anything, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I do, I'm not extremist, obviously, or at least that's what I like you people to think. Uh, but uh you know uh but like, oh what time, a nice guy oh he's been through so much health stuff it's like yeah you're dropping your guard man true this true. is all this is all the you plan. know what's in this heart <laughs> <laughs> you know norm keeps saying like this is a jewish heart so we'll see um <laughs> and i do believe that it's jewish heart you know because when i was as soon as like the COVID started I was like maybe i should buy stocks for the uh, uh <laughs> pfizer when they were trying stuff um yeah, I think I think I think it helped a little because uh, remember you don't really have options, you know. Like I can't watch TV because I I uh, when I was hallucinating, that was actually a funny story. I was one time watched Law and Order, you know, which I love, you know, but I was in so much drugs and hallucinating. I was, I thought that I was in an episode of Law and Order, and it started freezing everybody and asked for a stapler and for it was crazy night in the hospital like i ran all over and it's like where's my partner it was really like crazy it was insane like they had it was so crazy true story they had to have a, a, a they thought i had a stroke in my uh, my brain they had a, to scan to make sure nothing has happened and and do they could they determine where the hallucinations came from was it the drugs you were on or they don't know they don't know they think it's a combination of not sleeping and drugs and being in coma for a long time you know and you know and, and when you were in coma, was it um, like you woke up and had no idea the passage of time or was so there... it's, it's very weird because people think that when you're in coma, like at least from my experience, that you're in peace, like everything is quiet. You can feel anything. Yet. But the truth is, it's so annoying. It's so like it's the most pain that you ever feel because the only thing is working is your brain. And going like like a, a text message like tech 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 twenty four seven the whole you know that joke when somebody just uh, his wife wake him up it's like you've been in coma for three weeks it's like oh two more hours two more hours you know <laughs> so so it's kind of like that the first thing you want to do when you wake up in coma is actually sleep in peace so the whole time the the weird thing is like I can only feel um, um, if my brother in the room you know and. Uh, and that thing, but when I woke up, I couldn't really remember. And I still don't remember what happened in the ambulance. Now, you know, what's funny is now I have flashbacks of the surgery operation room of, of you know, of things that happened a while ago that I wasn't aware of. Now I start to have flashbacks of it, you know? Wow. Um, but yeah, but I'm very proud of myself because I had two girls that visit me and I dated them before at the same time and I didn't crack. <laughs> <laughs> but but one of them told me but my but my girlfriend at the time or my ex-girlfriend at the time 
she told me that I kicked her out when I oh, was wow. talking to the other girls. So at least part of my brain realized that I can't have both of them at the room at the same time. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I think if there's any time that a man can get a threesome, it's gotta be after he comes out of a coma. It's like, oh come yeah. On. Come on, you gotta you gotta help this guy. Well, I'm amazed looking, you know, looking at we haven't seen each other in person in, in, in a little while. But yeah. I mean you look great, man. You look really oh, healthy. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I try it's 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 very hard, you know, the recovery and all that, but as I said, like there's always you know, you just like this thing make you appreciate a lot of things, like a lot of simple things in life, like very simple that people don't even realize, like taking a shower. You know, when I had that equipment inside me and a wire to take a shower, it was an operation. You you put yourself in like a plastic wrap and you wrap yourself and you wash half and then the other. It's, you know, even like putting a shirt inside the pants. I managed to do that for the first time in four years because before there was wires, I couldn't do that. So make you appreciate little things like that actually make you enjoy it more. I wake up like very happy that I'm alive. Like before you didn't have the perspective that what you have or what you could do you could lose you know so mm. so i think that's a better uh, attitude than be like oh my god why is this happening to me you know if i except if i want to get laid you know then i'll be i switch like then then you use that yeah 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 uh, anytime yeah. I, I i tell any guy who's in a wheelchair just say you were in the war just you know that's, if, you know it's funny if you were born that way that just have, say yeah yeah <laughs> all the scars that i have i tell like i was a bow like i was a prisoner of war and but i didn't give up they tried they look tried at me, everything look at my body yeah. They took your heart out and you yeah. still wouldn't talk. I have, I, I would not say anything for America. Can you fuck me for America? <laughs> <laughs> I'll fuck you for America. Hell yeah. Um, dude. Uh, so what do they do with your old heart? Does that, do they? Uh, no, the old heart is gone, you know, because they take you, but. Um, I mean, do they throw it out or do they, you know, use you know, it for I experimentation? I don't really know. I know that the, the, um, the artificial heart they can you use and i donated to the hospital you know um it's not that they really i didn't really donate it they just took it but i said okay you know but um <laughs> what are you gonna I, say yeah what are you gonna but say? I, but I donated the rest of the equipment but um yeah uh -huh. but a lot of people like request to take a picture of their old heart when they're in the surgery or or to do you know document stuff which i did because i think i'm i'm gonna you know do a couple of things about that you know yeah but the thing is like because of my comedy background and and comedy like writing and and producing you know everything i look at i look at it's kind of like you you're a comedian you know everything you the first reaction to it is how is that funny you know right um so i think that helped me a lot you know also to to uh you know it's it was hard and you you learn a lot about yourself about you the people that you know who cares or who doesn't you know um and again, I want to trash Norm, but it was like he was one person that called me every day, you know? Mm -hmm. um, now, granted, I owe him. He's Jewish and I owe him $100, so he want to make sure that he gets it. But <laughs> but he was calling every day. <laughs> uh, and everybody at the comedy, everybody from, you know, all the comedians, everybody was, you know, was awesome. But what I want to know is where the new heart came from, which you don't get to know that until. So after six months, which passed already, they asked the donor family um, to uh, if they want to contact the person that got it. And then there's a, there's a, like an agency in the middle. So you send them a letter and then they take any personal information from it and send it to them. And you keep, you know, talking through that. And then if you decide to meet, then you meet, you know. And, and where are you in that process? Of, of I have not contacted them. They have not contacted me. You know, but I think with COVID and everything, everybody yeah. is worried. But I think like eventually I... I would like to know. I don't know what I'm gonna say. A friend of mine say, "How about say thank you?" But um, uh, but other than that, is uh, you know, I don't know. But I do want to know because I um, you know, I'm doing. You know me. I'm always work, working on something. So yeah, I'm do something about that. Well, I remember. Um, I remember seeing a video, um, from a while back of, I think it was a man. He got uh, he got a new heart and did a. I did like a bike tour. He rode his bicycle from, I guess, where where he was oh, from, yeah, yeah. all the way to the to the to the donor's family. Yeah, and oh my god, it was such a moving experience. Where I think the the man's daughter had like the um, um, oh the, yeah yeah, and she was listening to his dad, listening yeah. to the heart and this yeah. new human being. I mean, that's just that that's just amazing. And I, I mean, 
fuck you have a you have somebody else's heart inside you right now we're Trust talking me, like sometimes i i wake up and i'm like terrified or or sometimes in the middle of that it's not always good time you know what i'm saying like sometimes you be like i cannot believe that i was cut open my heart was out and another heart is in you know it's crazy it's crazy yeah. to me but from my experience what i want to share with people and i want to you know if i can say inspire people to become organ donors or whatever it's just like I see a lot of the stories about, you know, like you said, and it's very emotional. It's very moving, but it's very also sad. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and I feel, you know, there's a lot of people that you, you got to give them credit, like for, for the, like a lot of things that I learned that, that there is a transplant team, you know, so once somebody have an accident and they die or about to die, that team goes right in to take hold of the body and they called, they call the family of that person and tell them, would you, this is going to happen. Would you be, you know, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of people that should deserve a lot of credit and, you know, mm. not to mention my heart flew in, in a private jet FYI. Oh, wow. Yeah. So excuse me. Well, it would be, I think it would be an amazing story if Jerry Seinfeld delivered your heart and he, <laughs> yeah he's like but i need somebody to sit in the car outside yeah while, it's, while it's, go you, know, you know what's you know it's interesting you say stuff like that but when when manny was sick and he was in the hospital and it really made a difference when a lot of celebrities came to it like i didn't have any visitation because of covid but when there's a lot of celebrities who are visiting him and it really made a difference of people you know taking it because they know it's like oh shit media is here unfortunately people even in hospitals, stuff like that happened, you know? So, hmm. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's, I think it's unfortunate that, you know, sometimes it takes, you know, something like this happening, like you going to the hospital to see just how important you are to the people around you, you know, yeah. and see who comes out and who, who talks, uh, yeah. who talks to you. I, um, um, what was it a, a, about a year ago? my uh, my oldest brother turned 50 and uh, his uh, wife and kids threw a through a party for him and uh, he's my older brother by 12 or 13 years and when I was baptized he was my, he's my godfather so wow. my, my own brother is my is my godfather in the uh, in the Catholic Church and um, you know there was nothing planned as far as people giving toasts or anything like that and uh, they um, they hired a band, a um, Phil Collins and Genesis uh, cover band, because that's like his favorite. His favorite music is Phil Collins and, and Genesis. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I felt like, well, I want to I want to say something. So, you know, so I got up there and I um, talked about, uh, you know, growing up with with my brother and how you know, even, even though there was like 13 years of, of difference, he never treated me like I was a, like I was a little kid, like he would take me to the city and we would go uh, hang out in the village and, and stuff like that. And I just, I needed to say just, you know, how, how important he was, he was for me and is for me and how even to this day, like when he texts me to like hang out, um, I'm still like, Oh man, my older brother wants to hang out with me. Wow. Even though we're, we're adults. And, um, you know, obviously everybody in attendance there were, you know, just more examples of just how important this guy is. Yeah. And, uh, so I needed, I needed to say that and I needed to, to take that opportunity. And afterwards he, he thanked me. Um, cause he, he, he hadn't been told that in a long time, you know, just how, yeah. um, how important he is. And, uh, and it's like, man, we don't, we don't do that. Um, we don't do that enough. I don't think, you it's know, true. Um, and it, you know, with, within reason, you know, yeah. I mean, oh yeah, of course you don't want to be too much, but you, uh, yeah. you do want to be there and you want to be, you know, doing the right thing. Because when you go through stuff, you know, the difference between somebody that texts you, Hey, hope you're okay. And somebody texts you, Hey, do you want a sandwich? You know, uh, yeah. I know the food there sucks. You know, you know, the difference between people that try and people not trying. And we, we all lost a lot of people in COVID and, and life in general. And you always feel like, damn, I wish I, I have one more minute. I told them how they feel, you know, and I, I always like, I'm against like, Oh, um, let's do this for this person to memorize it. Why can't we do it when they're alive? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. It's, it's crazy, but yeah. So right now I want to talk to Hatem about a, a friend of mine 
who passed away last year. So we're keeping it real on the upbeat. So if you guys want to hear about this, head over to Locals and, and check it out. And, and, and comedy. We talk about comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In three, two, one. <laughs>